everybody, and welcome to the Best of Over the Rainbow, Part 2. I apologize, I don't have a radio voice, but if you can get past that, the show is very good. It's funny and entertaining. To start off, we have a show called Garage Talks Talk, with Mike Sheehan from Garage Talks PC. And the first thing he started to talk about was his panic attacks. I had one panic attack where I was up all night and I just, I kept drinking all night. And this is before I started medicating. And again, we'll get to the medication that I had taken a second. And I was up all night long and I didn't know who to call. And I called a friend and they just came over and walked in and, and my friend's wife just like sat with me. And, you know, it's, it, it, this, what people don't realize is is that, of course, there's no cause to it. It just happens. There's no reason that you can get rid of. And, and people who don't have anxiety don't understand it. And I don't, I don't have depression, but having anxiety and panic attacks, I understand how real depression is to the person who's feeling depression. So Mike had a really interesting solution to the problem. CBD, CBD works for me. Now, there's two different sides. I had to do a lot of research. There's two different sides to that. So I can actually order my CBD through Amazon because wow. CBD is legal. It's legal in all 50 states. Oh, it's it not is. THC. Okay. It's okay. not THC. It doesn't get you high. It's completely different. It's the hemp side of that. And, and, and CBD works for anxiety, panic attack, high blood pressure, um, shoot it. It helps. It helps curb uh, smoking uh, uh, needs or habits. Um, I mean, that's great. And Mike had another suggestion on how to relieve anxiety. The thing I do is I go for a run. When I feel anxiety, I put my headphones on, I put my music on, and I go for a five mile run. Uh, that'd and be great that if helps. I could do that. I can't. I can and, barely walk. So I know, but that that helps too, though. Is the thing, yeah, you know. I agree. I, and then I talked about my son a little bit, and he had panic or anxiety attacks. So this is what I had to say. Uh, our problem runs in the family, and it's it kind of starts at like mid thirties. He he just uh-huh. turned thirty three, and he got it. He got the anxiety attacks, uh-huh. and he came. And right, he, he came right. Him. He came right to me and said, "Dad, what do I do? I, this is this is right. terrible. This is terrible. I don't know." That what was to his do. apology to you yeah. for not believing you before. Yeah. That's what that yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. So then I talked about how I feel during depression. I couldn't feel love anymore. It was like I love my kids. I mean, I, I just adored my kids. Uh-huh. younger I still do and uh it takes away the very it thing you need it, it takes yeah. away the very thing you need to, to to help it the story then switched to a tragic story about a little girl who took her own life because of bullying you mentioned also uh, a young child took her life because of bullying yeah that, that was, was actually out in Santa Ana, it's in Orange County, and um, it was a ten-year-old. And at the time that we that we recorded the podcast, it, it had happened the day or two before. We posted it later, but it had happened a day or two before, so we didn't know much about it. But 
a lot of our podcast was on how a 10-year-old even knows what suicide is. And, and I mean, it's, it's really, it's a shame. And, and I don't, you know, I don't blame her parents for that. You know, even though we talked about illness versus weakness and parenting causing weakness, you can't blame the parents really for that. We need to be, we need to be communicative with our kids. We need to be able to talk with them and we need to yeah. find out and pry, you know, at that age. Actually talk about the joy of life and then the pressures as well. At, at our age, we forget that life is supposed to be fun. Life could be. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to be having a great time. I mean, and people put too much pressure on ourselves, I think, also. I, mean, I think that I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think people, uh, as, as, as a people, we, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses kind mm-hmm. of thing is, is, yeah. is, is, is a, it's a, that's a real thing. You know, I mean, I'm I'm busy trying to make more money, and I'm busy trying to do this and that, and I I forget every now and then. I, I and I always I always do remember, but I forget every now and then to enjoy life. And, and and you know, just to get the message out that you know, people do have problems. They have anxiety problems. They have depression. Yeah, problems. they sure do. And, and, and you know what's funny is we all we all have anxiety, and this is one thing that came up in my. Uh, Mental illness versus mental weakness right, podcast. Right, I remember that. And it's true. We all have anxiety. Mm-hmm. We all have a little bit of panic. Mm-hmm. We just some of us it affects differently, and mm-hmm. and that's that's exactly. one of the things. One of the issues that we we didn't really tackle, but we argued over on the podcast is mm-hmm. is is you know I I might deal with mine differently than you deal with yours, but we both have it and we both have that anxiety in life and we both deal with the same kind of stressors and what we have to do is we have to recognize that hey this person's having a little more trouble what can i do to help ease that stress uh-huh. you know and sometimes honestly sometimes it's hey let me toss a load of laundry in for you hey let me grab that laundry out of the hey let me go do your dishes hey let me let me cook dinner tonight Sometimes it's something as simple as that to just take a minute, take the stress off, and and be just uh, just that caring person. I mean, and not to say that we're not caring people, just to say, just to be that person that's like, you know, hey, I see you're here. Let me handle this. I got it. Yeah, and I think we forget that we're supposed to have challenges. Life's not supposed to be easy. I don't know if you right. saw a League of Your Own when she said it's just too hard. And he said, uh-huh. that's what you like about it. It's, it's hard. So, I mean, that's the kind well, of challenges stuff. Are how, challenges are how we succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, it's a, a lot of people just like, they're so scared of losing their job or, I don't know. It just, it, it there is a lot of politics and that's ruins a lot of. Yeah. But, but sometimes, like, like I was saying, like I was saying early in the beginning, Sometimes, you know, like I, you know, I was having a panic attack. I'm on the floor and my friend and his wife came over and she just sat with me. She yeah, didn't try to make beautiful. it better. She was just there. And yeah. he was sitting over on the couch. She was on the floor right next to me. And that was, that was enough. And nobody's leaving until they hear about my favorite artist. You know who he is. NF. There's an artist called NF. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. He does all mental illness songs. He, he's a rapper. Now, a lot of people don't like rap. But 
he's spot on. Everything yeah. he says is exactly true. You should listen to him once. Wait, who is it? NF. His real name is Nathan Fernstein, I think. Oh, NF. I know yeah. NF. He's yeah. on my running list. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's... I love yeah. him. I, 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 I want to marry you know him. He's a, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a Christian, but... He's a Christian, but he doesn't identify as a Christian rapper. No, no, he, he he's spot on with the mental illness. I mean, everything yeah, he, he said. Mean, he's got a song, Mansion. Mansion is a oh, great song. Oh, man, there's yeah. so many good songs. I love Trauma. Have you heard that one? And yeah. Paral- Paralyzed, he's always talking about. Oh, yeah, Paralyzed is an uh, awesome song. Oh, yeah, and, and then one after another, it's the, the Search. Uh, that's awesome. You know what? I'm 61 years old. I went by myself to his concert in Charlotte, and he oh, blew, really? he blew me the fuck away. I, wow! I, I never had as good a time at a concert or any kind of event like that. Even though this was the longest episode in the series, it seemed like the quickest to get through because it was so entertaining. In the next segment, I talk about my reluctance to let my friends know about this podcast. So what you talked about before with, you know, how you don't share this with your friends because you're afraid of what they might think, that's also a source of anxiety. Yeah. And and you know what I have to say to that is, fuck them. I'm just real ashamed. Friends I, I are think real I'm friends. still ashamed. I know, but I haven't real, friends are real friends no matter what, and that's that. Yeah, there's I, no I, way around it. I don't think it's a, it's really the risk of losing a friend. I just feel it. I feel no, like I, I think you it's know, a chain. And I that's what it is. That's what it is. I was just going to say that. I, I think it's. I don't think it has to do with your friends. It has to do with you, and you're embarrassed. Not ashamed. You're exactly. embarrassed. Embarrassed. That's a better word. Yeah. Well, stop being embarrassed because you'd be amazed at how many of your friends will tell you, "Oh my God, you know what? I had that same shit happen to me." Well, it's my son's, you know, I have Facebook with some of my son's friends as well. And so, Uh like you said, I think the younger generation does understand it a little bit better. Because my son said to me, go ahead and do it, Dad. He said, you know, put your podcast out to everybody. You know? Yeah, the the, the younger generation sure does understand that. He turns out his daughter is dating a girl, so he talks about that, but basically talks about uh, anyone's choice, be who they are. Uh, yeah, that was in my mental illness versus mental weakness, I think, podcast. Yeah. yeah. And is he, it ingrained or is it a choice kind of thing? I strongly it believe it, 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 it's, it's you're born that way. That's it. I, I honestly, I, I will honestly tell you that I personally believe, and I didn't say this in the podcast because I was taking, you know, I told you earlier, we, you know, you got to have an opposition. So I took a different stance. Mm-hmm. So I didn't say this in the podcast, in my podcast, but I, I believe that there are some times where someone's confused, but there are some times where it's ingrained and it's, it's just who they are. And either way, you have to treat it the same. You have to be understanding, you have to be loving, you have to be a friend, a father, a, a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter. you got to be that person, regardless. You have to, because that's the only way they get through whatever they're going through. Mm-hmm. And if it is a choice, they'll get through it and they'll move on. If it is ingrained, then they know that you understand and you still love them. And that's the most important thing, yeah. is that it, 
any mental illness that you know that there's this group of people that that whether they understand or not is irrelevant. They love you and they're there for you. And that's all that matters. And that 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 by itself relieves anxiety. Yeah. That by I, I, itself helps cure depression. You know what I mean? That right. stuff that stuff goes a long way. Just somebody going, "Okay, that's cool." You know. And finally we wrap up the show and one final time I talk about the artist NF you well, know, I'll tell you, you what, we'll do, that on, we'll do that on my podcast. You've been the, the best guest that I could possibly have. I mean, I mean, oh, there hasn't been that so many, much, but you, you, you were terrific. And, I, you know, I just, I'm indebted to you. I, this is the kind of thing I want to tell NF, even though you don't get to talk to celebrities. I just want to thank them. I want to say thank you. Because I'll tell you what, I when, you, when, to, when I see this postcast or when I see this podcast posted, I will reach out to him. Not that I know him, but I'll reach out to him and I will bug the shit out of him and see if I can't get a response. I, I, you know, for me to say thank you to him, and that's all I would say to him, because yeah. he, he he hits, I mean, he, he uh, what's the word, just... He justifies. He touches you. Yeah, he 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 he, he finds the exact right uh, emotion and, and, and words yeah. to say that I couldn't even say myself, but he found it, and he and, yeah. and 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 I'm like, wow, I can't believe somebody else is doing this, is saying this. You yeah, know, and that's what I'm telling you is that there's so many. There's so many of us, and I'll include myself in that. There's so many of us out there that have those types of issues where, you know, like mine's anxiety and panic. There's uh-huh. so many of us out there, and, and right now I don't have any, so I can be encouraging. So that concludes our look back with Garage Talk Talks. And even though it is a very long episode, when you listen to it, it seems really quick. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Brett Steven. So, Brett has bipolar one, and he went through three episodes where he reached a high, high, high. So, he goes over this in the next segment. Went through. So, in my first episode, I was in college, and I'm just noticing patterns of birds and thinking, you know, if, if a bird is around, that means something, or the teacher in front of the classroom is talking about me. So Brett's younger brother came to visit him at college, and this is what he he saw. So, you know, he spent some time with me in college, at the, you know, over that weekend, and I wasn't sleeping, and, and he ultimately reported back to my parents that, you know, something was off. So they took me home, and, you know, basically we're driving to the psych ward, and I have no, I'm excited. I think I'm going to some special facility that they're going to, train me on something or use me for some special study. What age was that? I was 19. I was 19. Okay. So I asked him if he had any indication of this when he was younger. And here was his response. No. It showed itself in college for the first one. And I didn't even know what it was before that time or had any clue. Brett starts talking about the beginning of things unraveling. 
basketball kind of weans away. Uh, my parents ha- have a marital issue. And then I moved to college where I have this first episode. Then Brett starts talking about having the second episode. After that, he takes it from there. And did really wow. well. And, and, yeah, and I had another, you know, I can, I can get into the details about what happens in the episodes because that's kind of in the story. But ultimately, I had another episode. And then, and then uh, after the second one, I was working at a startup company in Texas. We had two or three employees. And I worked really hard for three years. We had, we had 50 employees in the office. And I'm managing all these people. And then I have another episode. And, and so, you know, I think your message is, you know, you want people to, rec- you, can, you can show some stories of recovery. And I think that is definitely something that's really important because it, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. If you can do the right things and, and find some sort of peace or you just find a spot where you're feeling good about it, somehow, some way, whatever that means, you know, you can find that. And, and for me, that, that has really helped me to the point where I'm at now. I feel pretty good. I'm writing a book about it. I actually have another book that I'm working on. I just got certified in mental health first aid. Um, I work in real estate. So I, I have a lot of things going on. But then he talks about his attitude and how he's fighting to recover. I need a morning routine. So I need to wake up. I need to do a breathing exercise. I need to meditate. I need to make a healthy breakfast and I need to take my medicine. And those are all within my control. So if I'm waking up and I'm not feeling it or I'm just saying, you know, those things actually aren't working, aren't that important, that's the battle right there to me. The battle is doing those healthy exercises because it's not only good for you, right, but it's also helping you get the confidence that if you want to do something, you can do it. I think it's the small things. It's the little tiny things that you might blow off or say, hey, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying in general, like, you know, I'm just talking here, but. Uh, it's, I don't know that those things have worked for me. If I don't do this, it's kind of like on me. If I do it and I'm still feeling bad, what else can I do? How else can I challenge myself? Uh, and, and you know, every, everyone's situation is unique. You know, I can't take anything away from anyone else. Like I obviously have had major, major issues. Uh, but, but in writing this book and the responses that I've gotten, that would be the message that I'd want to put out there is, what can you do every day? Keep it small and simple. Measure your progress. Focus on that and see if it can help in some sort of way. Um, you know, that, that is what has worked for me, and that is why I have been confident enough to go out and be in the world with Bipolar One and feel comfortable talking about it and, and feeling that it's, it's manageable, really, at the end of the day. And then we get into the medication that he takes. That's very important for his recovery and stabilization. So it took me many months to to get on the medicine that is working. And many times I was told, take this, take that. And I did, and it didn't work. It made me nauseous. So I get that. But right now, I am on lithium. I am on uh, Lamictal. is a mood stabilizer that goes with lithium. And then I also take, what do I take? I take Synthroid in the morning because I think, you know, with lithium, that, that helps with one of the side effects of lithium. So I also take fish oil three times a day. And I take what's called acetylcysteine three times a day. Those two are over the counter. And that's, unless I'm missing something, yeah, it's lamictal, lithium, 
synthroid, and then the fish oils and things like that. So that's my full uh, round. It's taken a long time to, to get to this point, but that's what I do. And then obviously I see my psychiatrist often, and if anything needs to be changed, then that's really for her to decide. But then talks about his certification to teach someone to become a certified mental health aid instructor. And what that means is I can teach people how to become certified in mental health first aid. So a mental health first aid aider is what they call it. Mental health first aider is someone who kind of like has a CP, you know, you know, um, CPR, like yeah, if somebody yeah. physically like, so, so picture that, but for mental health. So you don't have to help anybody, you know, it's within your rights to just walk by. It's, it's not as serious as like someone with CPR is supposed to go and do it. But if you see someone that, that looks to be struggling, it teaches you the skills to go talk to them. It teaches you the resources and places that you can send them to. So it's a very just useful way to help someone that might be struggling with a mental illness. And in the class, we teach you how to like gain those skills and get that certification. So you might actually be able to help someone who's in crisis instead of, you know, being relatively unsure or unaware of what's going on. Then I asked Brett, is there any warning signs of you going into a manic episode? For me, I'm completely unaware. So I'm I'm going to be living my life and things are going to start to happen that seem special and then I'm going to be ramped up and have an episode. The things that can put me in that place where I am aware, like, okay, I have bipolar and so I need to be aware of some of these things. Drug, any drugs and alcohol. So I, I don't, I don't even drink caffeine. I'm caffeine. I'm completely off drugs, alcohol, caffeine, energy drinks. Like I cut all that out after my last episode. But if I'm in the past, if I'm smoking marijuana, I'm probably going to have an episode. <laughs> it's, it's that sensitive for me. But wow. being isolated, stress. The last episode, I wasn't. I was a casual drinker, maybe once on the weekend, a couple drinks. And I had an episode. I wasn't doing any, and there was nothing else in that picture except for stress from my job, isolation, and that was it. <laughs> so, oh, lack of sleep. So those types of, if you're not sleeping well at night, doesn't mean you're bipolar one, but that would be a symptom that you're stressed, isolated, drugs and alcohol, those that, you know, you're not working out. Those are the types of things that if, if I kind of fall into that, that world of those, those types of symptoms or triggers or whatever, like I could actually put, I mean, I'm putting myself at a higher risk. Obviously, too, if, if I stop taking my medicine for whatever reason, which that, I just would never do that, but that would 100% put me back into an episode. And then it's the family um, that he talks about next and how important they are to him. First, I ask how his fiance Kayla, reacts to his condition. I'm lucky, and my family's the same way. They're, like, the most supportive people, which is another just huge, huge thing. They are going to do everything they can to help me. They're not going to blame me. One thing that is tough is sometimes people over-worry. So if I get up early one day and try to work on something, there might be some alarm, like, oh, is this that manic energy that he's starting to have? You know, so that's a little bit tough to, to deal with, but... They don't look at me any differently. My friends that I've known my whole life before I was bipolar can't tell a difference, except maybe I don't drink anymore or something like that. 
So I, I'm lucky. I've gotten nothing but, but amazing support. And I just, uh, if something happens to me, everyone's kind of like all hands on deck and they, they come to help out. No one's, no one's judging or, or thinking that I can't do anything I want to do with my life because of this. So the last piece of crossover one, Brett explains to other people that might have the same ailment, bipolar one, and how to handle it. Yeah. So I first want to say that that is precisely what I'm writing about now. So it's literally like you've been told you have bipolar disorder and the book is written in the exact same style as the first one. And it's going to hopefully try to get someone from that point to like where I am now, where things feel like they're manageable and things are good. So just generally, I think, I think the attitude is huge and it's hard because bipolar takes your sense of reality. It takes, what you believe to be true, and it it messes with all that. So to say you have to have a positive attitude or you have to believe that you can do what you're supposed to do and accept that you have this chronic illness now is very hard (laughs) because you can't just make that decision and snap your fingers. But I'd say someone who's, I'd say, know that there is support around you. Know that there's a lot of people that have what you have. I know it's a small percentage, but in America, it, that small percentage is still millions and millions of people. There are so many resources online. And really, just you have to look at yourself. It, it challenges you to go as deep as you've ever gone when, when thinking about yourself and your life. And you have to, when you're ready, make, you have to kind of decide, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to live a normal life or I'm going to accept that this is what I have and I'm going to change my life and let it be the main thing in my life. So for someone who's trying to live a normal, healthy life, do what you're told by the doctors, learn as much as you possibly can about it. It's okay if you feel a little bad for yourself. It's a pretty serious thing that happens. So so don't get even more down that you don't feel well about it. Um, Just off the top of my head, too, I'd say understand that medication takes time to get right. Side effects go away over time they become easier and you know you really have to trust the people around you that are that are helping and it's very serious it's like a full-time job you've just been given a full-time job and you have to do all of this and you also have to live the rest of your life so i think the advice that i you know that that's the advice it's you know kind of like hunker down and learn and accept things and then that i believe is the the path to, to get into a good place not easy. It's definitely something that, that we can feel bad about, you know, and, and take take to heart and understand what's happening. It's very serious, but I, I believe there's light on the other side, and you really have to take it seriously and treat it like it's the most important thing you have going on because it is. So that concludes crossover one. But now we're going to go to crossover two, which occurred about 10 days later. And I had read the book, and we discuss it starting with this segment. And back by popular demand is Mr. Brett Stevens. Hi, Brett. Hey, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. I'm going to go watch a basketball game this afternoon. Uh, Yeah, hanging out, having a good day so far. Great, great. Well, I, I read the book, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, Thank you. 
the detail is, is unbelievable. Um, uh, it's that, what is that um, condition that you have, hypernesia? Yeah, it's called hypernesia, and I didn't really know what it was until my doctor had read the book, and she looked it up and told me that I had it. And it's basically the ability to remember traumatic events in great detail. So something about the trauma kind of stirs up the details, and I'm able to go back to those places and remember very specific things. So then Brett and I talk about a couple things, his family history, um, describing uh, the after effect, which was major depression. So here's that part of it. Yes. So I didn't really know that anything was going on in my family until I had my first episode. And then as I was recovering, I talked a little bit more and I found out my, my grandma was bipolar and my aunt uh, also uh, lives with bipolar. So I think that's the best way to say it. And so I really le- was able to learn more from my aunt as I got deeper into it after my third episode and had the diagnosis. But yeah, I didn't have any idea that it ran in my family until after I had my first uh, psychotic episode. But then when I was actually diagnosed you know, later on, then I really got the full story about what was going on with my grandma, my aunt, and my dad had showed signs of it, but I, I don't believe that he was officially diagnosed. What, when you went through the manic episodes, they would last, what, for a couple of days? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of days come on really strong and then just end up in the hospital, and, and that's when the recovery starts. Yeah, yeah. So once um, you come back to reality, um, there's a period of depression, anxiety. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, and just to reiterate, I think everyone's experience is, is going to be different. What what happened in my experiences were I would I would have these these manic episodes, and as you read, you you, you think you think God is talking to you. you. You think you're doing things that are so special, and you're so high on it. And every day, and everything that happens is is so interesting and exciting. So as you can imagine, when you come down from that, normal things do not seem fun at all. And then combine that with medication and, you know, drugs that are trying to get your mood right, but also can be, you know, painful or cause nausea, you know, there's all that. And then I think there's also an additional layer of the things you lost. So I had this really good job and it was just gone. It disappeared. I worked for three years for something and it just disappeared. Uh, I was living independently on my own and all that disappears. Now I'm at home with my mom. I was living in a city where it's warm out and everyone's outside and then it's it's snowing and cold. And so I just think, you know, the different layers of coming down from an episode for me, that that was the most depressing was was more like what I had lost and what I was experiencing now. And then that takes a lot of time to get over. Um, So for me, that was that was the most challenging when it came to recovery. I Uh, I was definitely depressed. So it was how many uh, was it a couple months? I mean, the first the first month or two, I'm still hallucinating. I don't know if I really honed in on that on the the book, but I, on the next one, I'm trying to really focus in on. I'm very manic still, even after coming home and after the hospital, and I'm just a little bit more confused. That's for about a month or two, and then there's really just, I'd say like three. I'd say there's another six months of just like feeling very down, 
lack of confidence. My whole world was just completely different. So my senses are off. I have no, I'm not vulnerable, shy. I'm just a different person altogether for about six months, I'd say. And then I slowly do one thing or I try a chess club or I, you know, realize that, that there's different parts of life that you can focus on and, and still gain a lot of value from. And, you know, I think the biggest realization was my life wasn't so perfect before I had my episodes. So in my mind, everything was great. I was doing all these awesome things, but the more you reflect on it, it you know, there's good and bad regardless of really what's going on. So I'd say the first, you know, eight months total is, is very challenging, but then I, it, it takes me 18 months to fully feel better back out there getting, you know, could go get a job, can live on my own. And I've just seen that same pattern with all three of my episodes. So for me, like that's kind of what I could expect uh, when I recover. So your recovery was usually at home with your mother and it was like you would stay maybe 18 months. And... Right. Yeah, every time I, I, I left college and I came back home and then I left my independent life in my early 20s to move home. And then I had to come back from Texas for 18 months. Uh, so I'm lucky I had those those places to go. And I had my mom was very supportive and she she dropped everything to help out. She quit her job. And, you know, I think that's a major reason that I was able to recover and, and I'm doing well now because I know that that's not the case for everybody. But, yeah, she was like the main person driving the recovery and just literally probably as obsessed with it as I was to, to help me get better. And he did get better at the age of about 21. And he spent the next couple of years uh, playing poker and became a championship poker player online. And he hung out with his friends and had a good time. And then the ugly beast came back and got him and he had his second episode. And went through another painful recovery so so we pick up the story after his second episode and recovery and he describes what happens next so after the second episode i i tried to go right back to playing professional poker and in like a the perfect storm of events all of online poker was shut down it was called black friday it happened in 2011 so I'm sitting there depressed, not able to do the thing that I was generating money and, and using as my as my career at that point and just feeling really bad about it. And so eventually when I was getting more comfortable and I let a few more months pass, I found I just went online and looked for any job that required no experience. I didn't use my degree at all. And I sold paper door to door. And it was a really... I was so nervous. I was, I really had this attitude, like no matter what happens, I, I have to try something because I'm not just going to sit around and just let this thing like ruin my, my life. So I, right. I just kind of went out there and I tried and I was so, Oh, all these other people are, are going to do better than me. And you know, how can I, how can I possibly get this job over some other people? But as I, as I stuck with the job, you know, we're going door to door with people where, doing one of these, you know, there's not a lot of money being paid out, but I, I got some confidence because I realized that I had, I had some skill and I could, I could do the job. And so I think that little bit of confidence kind of led me to then working at a gym and becoming a general manager really fast. And then ultimately like moving to Texas where I had like really good experience 
for my career in, in terms of like building a startup and scaling and, and getting a lot of a lot more like high level management experience. My right. brother had worked on this project for an entire decade, really. This was the biggest priority, you know, right after his family to do. And there was no guarantee that he'd be successful. But by the time I came around, he had already had some customers and he was doing really well. And he I think he offered me the job as something to help me out at first. He was he knew my situation. He knew I had some skills, but it was more like I'm going to I'm going to give Brad a shot at this because he, he hasn't necessarily had a full time job. He played poker and he tried, you know, he did the gym a little bit, but he, he kind of gave me this opportunity. So I, I went down to Texas. Brett helped to build the company and uh, he was very successful, high level management. And it was just a funny story in, in the book about one of the CEOs for a company had a chess set and wanted to play him in chess. So I'll bet you listen. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have kind of like a baby face. I look a lot younger than, than I am. So I'm always kind of being asked, how old are you? So, so when I, so, so when we got one of these big deals, uh, the owner of one of these big, com- or I'm sorry, the, the CEO of one of these big companies invited us out. They are a customer service first company. They, they bleed for their customers. And they wanted to give us a lesson in how to run this stuff because we were really new. So I show up, I'm really young and I was able to do okay in the meeting, but I saw his chess set and I, I just love chess. I've played my whole life. I'm not some great, you know, grandmaster or anything, but I, I've always played and I really find it interesting. And so I, I, I asked him, I said, do you play chess? And he said, yes. And then we just kind of went at it all afternoon. I was just amazed that this guy just cleared out his whole schedule to play me in chess all afternoon. So this leads us to Brett's final episode. And he describes it in great detail as follows. Yeah, I, it was the end of this just thing after thing, you know, not sleeping, not eating, you, I mean, I'm sure you read about all the, you know, the homeless experience, the, the bridge, even the treadmill. Right. And I just was in this here. I'll try to just describe it. I was in this pizza place. Okay. I was very angry. I was getting messages from God is what it, I experienced. I, you know, that that's what the experience was. And it was, he was saying, you know, you're a man, don't listen to anybody. Like all these people are not, they're trying to harm you. Very just scary. And, and he kind of like pumped me up enough to get me to turn around, stand up on the stool that I was, that I was sitting in. And I just like yelled, I yelled at the whole place and it was quiet and it, it felt good. You know, when, when everyone stopped talking, uh-huh. I was like, Oh, like it was this relief. And then I just like, this guy tried to get, settle me down and I just pushed him and then everyone got really scared. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you're allowed to carry a firearm in Texas. So uh, thankfully, right. no one got that scared. I got out of there and I just was like, OK, that was fun. Like, what's next? It, it, there was no emotional reaction <laughs> or reflection on what just happened. I just moved on to the next thing. But I think of all the, the stuff that was so out of character for me. I would never, you know, when I go to a restaurant now, I'm like, how could I have done that? How, how could... I'm the same person. How could I have actually yelled at a group of random people in a restaurant? And, you know, those are the things that it, I'm not embarrassed by it, 
but I just cannot believe it. And, and I don't think that I'm worried that it would happen again, but it's just one of those things that right. you just kind of wonder. Well, yeah. Uh, now you have cut out alcohol, you've cut out any kind of uh, marijuana or any other, even caffeine you cut out of your diet, correct? Yeah, and I, I never, marijuana was the only, I guess you could say, drug that I ever did. I never experimented with anything else. And so I saw my friends doing marijuana and being totally fine. So I, you know, I kind of saw that as kind of a social norm thing. But yeah, I don't drink energy drinks. I was actually talk about being depressed. Just not having caffeine in the morning was very hard at first. And also, and obviously alcohol too. But I think the hardest part about not having caffeine or alcohol that takes some time to get over when you used to drink those things is just having that conversation. Mm -hmm. You're at a restaurant and you're at breakfast and everyone's ordering coffee and you, oh, can I have decaf? You have to just remind everybody. And they're like, mm -hmm. what? Decaf? It's morning. Or you're you're out to dinner with your friends and oh I'll have the water and everyone's like we're all we're all drinking like so I, I have to I had to learn over time like what I wanted to say and what was really important versus you know I didn't have to get into the fact that I'm bipolar with all these people at at whatever you know I just kind of learned to say like yeah that's what I ordered <laughs> without getting too right. irritated or come off like I'm I'm in a bad mood over it so. That, that is definitely really tricky, especially like, you know, I'm in my early, early 30s. It's not like I'm in college or anything, but it's definitely a, a topic that, that can come up once in a while. So I don't want to give anything away, but we talked about his next book. Um, I believe it's going to be about uh, what he went through in a little more detail to help out people that also have bipolar one and then at the end he talked about what other people might experience that he didn't experience and this is what he said you know for me i, I don't know that all everyone that i know really understands like if you're sitting at home all day depressed you're not just sitting at home all day you're you're beating yourself up you're dealing with impossible thoughts you can't even get up or go out of the house and i just wanted to give that kind of a description of what it's like to go through it instead of i was depressed for four months you know because i right. think that that might be more valuable and you also had a lot of anxiety um during that period correct oh yeah i think the anxiety was probably worse because i think i've always I've always wanted to do well and, and be out there and, and have a like, cool confidence when I'm doing things. And to mm -hmm. just have that stripped, it, it makes you very nervous because you feel like a different person. And it's really mm -hmm. like no matter what you're doing now, you have this like intense, like distracting feeling. I think in the second book, I call it like a hell like buzz. It's just in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you just have to deal with it and, and learn the tools and the medicine that can that can help. But I will say, um, I tend to avoid things that I'm that I'm feeling anxious about, and one thing I've learned is if you if you don't avoid it, the the anxiety will go down every time you don't avoid something. So that made sense yeah. to me, but it's it's not easy. I I want to hear. I would just love to hear from other people, and what their experiences are, and and if they 
if they did read the book or if they do read the book, like obviously the, the feedback and the like, I would I would love to hear what someone who read the book, you know, like more people like you that have read it that might might disagree mm-hmm. with something or might want to have a conversation or say this is totally different from what I go through and we're, we both have bipolar one, you know, so maybe some sort of message right. that like tells people hey, if there's anything that you're not agreeing with or you see differently, like, let's just talk about it all because I think that's really what what we're, we're doing here. You know, we're trying to not to let people open up and help explain to them what, what I went through, but also I want to know what they went through and, and kind of, like, compare and, and understand and learn more. And uh, people that don't have a support system, is there anything they can do that you know of? That they I'm can... sure there are. I think NAMI is a good place to start from my understanding. And I know there's support groups which are, which are helpful, you know, in, in certain ways. So I think if, again, I've been lucky with the, with the support system. So I'm sure the first place to go would be online and see, but there's, I know there's local stuff in most cities that, that provides some support for stuff like this. So that wraps up crossover number two and coming up. Uh, the two women in his life, favorite women in his life, mother, Jane, and his fiance, Kayla. So I opened up the interview with a question to his mother, Jane. First question I have is, when he first got the attack, did you have any idea what it was and was it Did you know anything about the history, the inheritance that I think he said his aunt and grandmother? No, I did not make that connection at all. I I noticed um, certain things seemed a little different in terms of me being a little more hyper and telling me, uh, calling at different hours to tell me things going on. Um, But I never once could have imagined where it was leading or like what was coming because no, I was not really at all prepared for that. Even with the little bit I knew about family history, it really wasn't talked about. And I never, I probably should have been more curious to understand, but, but no, I I didn't see that coming. Back then, I think with my father as well, uh, there was no medicine. They, they just roughed it out. Um, My father had bipolar just bipolar two, mm-hmm. and then my mother mm-hmm. had a lot of anxiety, and I got lucky, and I got all of that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, everybody that's read the book knows that uh, you were going through a separation or a divorce when he had his first attack. Um, yeah, about a year before. When, when did you first notice that there was a problem in the first attack? Only when his younger brother went to visit him at school and noticed some very odd things going on um, and called us. And then um, his dad just hopped right on a plane and, and went down to because like, maybe in his mind, it started sounding somewhat familiar or concerning. So um, I stayed behind. He was 19, just to tell everybody. And he was in college. What was your reaction to the whole um, series of events because I think he took him to the psychiatrist first 
Is that right? Yeah. Well, I literally, I was, he came off the plane at 11 o'clock. We had lunch and then we went, we drove to the doctor's office. And I mean, by one at one o'clock, the doctor realized that what he was dealing with was just like outside of the bell curve of what he would normally handle and sent us right down to uh, the psychiatric hospital. And like, I, it was completely unbelievable in terms of having to, your child to be in the hands of people that weren't you, uh, but knowing that that's where you had to be to get regulate it was so it was something so beyond like livable yeah that i knew so and it was a very very hard thing uh yeah i could imagine i have three kids who i love dearly and four grandchildren and if something like that happened to them i i would have i wouldn't flip out but i would have been very upset about it uh did you know that what when did you know exactly it was bipolar one or or whatever they called it back then? Yes. Interestingly enough, they called it something called uh psychosis NOS two times, two two episodes, still no bipolar diagnosis. It wasn't until the third episode that we really got all the knowledge we needed. Um and you know, we have a family, you know, with physicians and yet uh we we just did not get you know, it just, just didn't figure things out for yeah, quite a while. That's what, that's a, it's really what I like to get across is information for people in case something like this does happen to them and they just don't know what to do. It's hard to get a psychiatrist. It's, you know, you don't want to bring your child to a uh-huh. mental hospital. It's, it's, it's right. difficult, but the problem is if we don't talk about it, then we're, I think that's even worse. So then we talked about when he got home and what he did in recovery at home. We had to take all the light bulbs out to make sure, like, nothing. he was worried about security. Like, just a lot of paranoia, I guess, yeah. if that's the word. He was very concerned with who was watching us, and just a lot of things took time to calm down. But... um I mean, it's amazing how it did eventually medicine kicked in and then he was able to at some point say, I think it was about six or seven months after he got home that he really, he felt starting to feel better. And I would say, well, what do you mean by that? And and he said, I'm not scared anymore. Um, And then another time when he mentions it, he he said, I'm not worrying as Mm -hmm. much. So, yeah, it was because your whole life is, I mean, his whole life was confusing to him. I don't think he understood, and I didn't really, I mean, we, we just didn't understand what was happening. And um, it says something that, you you know, you can come from a knowledgeable family, like, and, you know, be educated and still have no idea about this. Um, so there's so much learning we've done and so much learning that I've done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just discussing that with Kayla, that uh, we now think we would be careful with symptoms that, we'd be more on top of it um, because we were never really with him during an episode. It carries with it a lot of, just a lot of worry, like you say. A lot of pain and worry. Yeah. Yeah. It was because your whole life is, I mean, his whole life was confusing to him. I don't think he understood. And I didn't really, I mean, we we just didn't understand what was happening. And um, it says something that you, you know, you can come from a knowledgeable 
family, like, you know, be educated and still have no idea about this. Um, so there's so much learning we've done and so much learning that I've done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just discussing that with Kayla that, uh, we now think we would be careful with symptoms that we'd be more on top of it. Um, because we were never really with him during an episode. And so we part of the aftermath, but, uh, I don't know what that would be like. Um, by the time the third episode happened and I came, dropped everything and flew to where he was, he was already in the emergency room. So he had gone through the whole thing and gotten taken by police to the hospital. In a matter of 24 hours, I was in the back of a police car. I was in an ambulance. Like, very traumatic. Obviously, he's the most important thing. But, like, I was thrown into unbelievable chaos. And then also, even with a father and was a physician, we never got a lot of information from the medical staff. We didn't know what was going on a lot of the time uh, while we were with him at the hospital. So, but yet, but yet, it's the only place to be. You know, it's hard to. It's a yeah. hard thing. So then we had a chance to ask Kayla's fiance a few questions. I guess the first question is. Where did you two meet, and what time period was that? Uh, Brett and I met about eight years ago. Uh, we were, I was working at a gym, um, at, you know, at the front desk, and he had just come in as like a sales associate there. So okay. that's how we met. Okay. So it was eight years ago. So we had like one episode after that? Yeah. After you met him? Okay. Two. Oh, yeah, two. But you did know him for years first, right? Yeah, we knew we knew each other for years, um, and we remained. Yeah, we remained friends for a while, and um, even when he had moved and been away, um, you know, we would keep in touch, and sometimes we would lose touch, but we always um, found a way to get back together and see how the other was doing. And now we're here. <laughs> okay, so you never really saw him in. An episode then? No. Um, when I met Brett eight years ago, he did tell me um, about him having his first episode. Um, I never really thought too much of it. Um, the two um, last episodes, we were not um, involved at the time. He was living out of town. Um, but I did get the experience and be with him during the aftermath of the last episode. So then I talked to his mother again about how it was during the recovery of his manic episode in more detail. It was very hard because he wanted to do things, but he couldn't do things. So he didn't like being home, but the only place he could be was home. So I basically just cleared my calendar because we would make plans and then cancel them or he would try to see a friend and then cancel the plans and then um just you know we would have so many conversations about things and you know just I guess talking probably very healthy uh at a time like that mm -hmm. so I just kind of felt like uh proximity was really important and just that's why I wanted you know I just made, made sure that either myself or someone was always around um 
should he have a need for something, uh, whether it was a conversation or a card game or a meal. Well, well, did he just like um, lay in bed or he was out and about? Yeah. He did lay in bed. Yeah, there was some of that in the beginning, but then he's like a very unique person in the sense that he kind of sometimes would force himself to to try to make some progress. But no, there was a, there were weeks at a time with just kind of waiting to get stronger. Or bra- bravery actually was part of it. Like oh, the simplest things clean. that we all take for, the, the simplest things we all take for granted were very scary and hard for him during during that time. Yeah, you know, and, and, and driving, going to the gym, right. um, being in a mall. Forget it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I so. I went through two really bad depressions and. You don't feel like anything. It's like, let me lay in bed. That's it. So that's good that he even got up and about a little bit. It's very curious for the people that are caring for him because you don't really know what to do. Like many times, and we joke about it now, thank God, I would do the wrong thing and then he would get mad at me and then, you know, like, or say the wrong thing or, you know, you're always walking on eggshells because you don't know the mood the person's in and you something that one day might sound perfect the next day sounds annoying and like you you can only do your best but uh it's a struggle yeah i heard you quit you quit your job when you first took care of him well when i heard on the phone he said something to me i remember the exact day that it was and i knew that something was very wrong and i just literally left my office and went to the airport without luggage and went to where he was It, and that was it. And, you know, we stayed a week and got him back. And, uh, I didn't, my, I had a family leave of absence for three oh, months. Oh, okay. I got you. And then after that, I just still felt like I was more needed at home than at work. So then I started chatting with Kayla again. And you said you were 30 years old, right? Yes, 30. And Brett is, does he give out his age? 32. 32. Perfect. That's good. Um, does he ever now kind of get moody or depressed at all? I wouldn't say depressed. The last time I've seen him really just really down and depressed was after his last episode. Um, it was hard for him to enjoy, you know, events. I mean, sometimes he would come over. Um, and at this point we were, he just came back. Um, and we would just kind of keep each other company. And I would notice sometimes he would just be there and, you know, somewhere else. And so that was definitely hard to see him that way. Um, but I would say at this point, I haven't, on the ups these days, I haven't really seen him be depressed in a long, for a long period of time about anything. Um, moody, I would say just like anybody else. Okay. Average. Yeah. He gets, he gets hangry. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds like he has a great program. Are you involved with that at all, or does Brett just do all of that? You, do you uh, help him I with that? Say, as far as help, I would say in an encouraging way. Brett's definitely got a good handle um, on his regimen and his program, and it's been you know, it's it's him, his his doctors, his therapists, and he. He's really got a great support system with the, uh, them and family, uh, his brothers, myself, everybody. Um, so it's really, we just encourage him. Um, but I would say he's, he's very motivated and he's got a very strong will. Um, 
and he sticks to it. Yeah, he's 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 a competitor. Um, he has a lot of courage, and I really admire him for that. Um, and other people do too. I then asked if there was something else I wasn't asking that that Jane would like to talk about. I guess overall, what I would say, there's exactly where to go, except to tell you that at this point, though, I could really celebrate the fact that he survived three of these things, and I pray there's not another one. And um, I think it gets very, very scary. I would describe it as gut-wrenching and scary and like all those words that seem to apply on some of those nights and some of those days when you just don't know, you know, you make it till morning. Um, but now, and then once the medicine is regulated and you see that there's so much hope, then you it becomes almost fascinating, like, what the heck happened and what's going on and what kind of special person are you, you know? And, and so... I think that's luckily where we're all at right now. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, I guess I I like to encourage other people that have these issues not to give up um, because Brett survived three of them and now he's doing so Mm -hmm. well, knock on wood. And uh, I I just admire both of you. I mean... I don't know what I would have done, but I'm sure I'd be extremely upset. Um, my middle son is got some panic attacks once in a while, and that, and that upsets me. So I can't imagine that uh, something like that. It's one of the worst kinds of mental illness I think there is. Maybe schizophrenia or something that could be worse, but... Uh, and certainly I'm learning something because I thought I had the worst, yeah. but, but it looks like there's so many different things out there. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's really scary. You know, scary. you have to get it out of your system and cry about it and scream about it. And then you put your mind to getting the resources that are out there. And there's a lot of them. And that's when things start to improve. But I was never the person that handled this in my family earlier on. You know, Brett's dad was a physician. All of a sudden, I'm in a position now where I had to manage things and uh, step up and learn and advocate and do all these things that I didn't even know how to start doing. And you learn because what's at stake is is your child's health. And so you move your butt. (laughs) Yeah, not uh, every parent does that. So don't uh, downsell it. I mean, my parents didn't want anything to do with my problem. Um, my brother took me in once for a month, and then he said, get out. And I had to drive, drive all the way from New Jersey to Connecticut, back and forth looking for a job as I stayed with my sister in Connecticut. So not everybody does this. I mean, Well, that says a lot for your resilience. I mean, even more so. Because <laughs> look, look at the odds. You fought the odds even... In yeah, a really difficult I mean, situation. I, I remember taking the four-hour train ride, and I, you know, his, her, my sister's husband was very nice, but nobody wants somebody staying with them. I don't think, you know, it's just, yep. uh, it's it's something that people don't like, and the fact that you did it and you helped them and all of that is just it's just amazing and remarkable and. You should get well, some kind of award. Yeah, no, <laughs> they don't pass out awards for things like that, though. I would like to say, Bob, too, that, um, you know, 
for anyone who has, you know, a friend or, you know, a family member going through, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar, um, I think it's very important for those people to also get, have a support system. I mean, there's, there's online support groups. Um, if, if you can't, you know, find the right doctor, at least, um, to have a place to go for like release and support, um, you know, for family members that you, it's hard to take care of other people's if, if, you know, it's not what I'm saying is it's nice to take, um, some time for yourself in order to help those people better. It's been a pleasure. You guys have been great guests. And I like to just close with saying that, uh, you two were, um, you know, delightful to talk to. And it was hard for you, you know, it's hard for you guys to come on and, and, you know, it's courageous to come on and, and talk about it. Uh, well, that's it for the best of Over the Rainbow, Achieving Mental Health for Real. I hope you all enjoyed it. I thought, I thought all four shows were really good. And, uh, of course, the crossover trilogy. If anybody has any questions about the episodes, um, it's Garage Talks Talk is the first one that we went over. Then Crossover 1 and Crossover 2. And finally, Family is Everything, Crossover 3. Uh, if you want to send me some mail, I'm at over the rainbow bob at gmail.com and on my twitter at over the rain one bow and i also have instagram and facebook and just look for over the rainbow achieving mental health for real okay well it looks like i'm gonna have to do a few more best ofs uh i hope you find them entertaining And until I see you again in the next episode, take care.